often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. Hey, sis, how you doing? How has life been treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? Uh, me, I've I've been chilling. Um, I, there really isn't much that's been going on, to be honest. You know what? So I had these really grand plans for the summer. I'm like, you know what? Every week we are going to do a family field trip. We're going to do something new, explore the city a little bit, just do different things. And we really haven't really done that. I mean, we've kind of been like just really bumming it around the house in a way i'm i'm cool with it and in a way i'm just like dang my kids are so simple (laughs) thank god they don't really require much they don't ask for much sometimes when you do the extra stuff they don't even care for it and they would rather have stayed home anyway so i'm trying to assuage my guilt by let by reminding myself that my kids are really low maintenance in that sense but i don't know part of me feels that maybe i should be getting out and doing more but it's also a million degrees outside. It's like the the surface of the sun. Um, I know wherever you are, you probably have been feeling the effects of global warming heavy um, these past few weeks. But anyway, I digress. Overall, I am doing okay. I am just, you know, being real mellow, keeping it real cute on the inside, keeping it home. <laughs> anyway, so today we'll be talking about the fourth trimester. So the first three months after giving birth is affectionately known as the fourth trimester with so much emphasis placed on the new edition of the world. Very little is actually shared about the complex and often trying times for the parent. So in this episode, I speak to Lydia Simmons of Moo, which is M.O.O, which stands for Mom's Official Objective. And it was created by Lydia in a quest to advance maternal equity in the maternal health space. Our conversation touched on all the unfun things about postpartum from mental health struggles, which are all too common, to the unexpected changes that happen or don't within the first few hours after delivery. Listen, after having my first son, I had no idea that I would leave the hospital still looking pregnant and that it was completely normal. (laughs) I just was so naive when I saw that little bump. I'm like, why do I still look six months pregnant? Like, what is going on here? But I realized that, no, this is completely normal and it's going to take some time to for my stomach to flatten out which honestly is still it never went back to its, its pre-baby state and that's okay <laughs> but i digress um to the importance of your nutritional habits during the postpartum period and so much more lydia gives us a crash course on just about everything you should know about the trimester so if you are thinking about or actively trying to conceive are pregnant or are simply curious about what happens to mama during the first 12 weeks of life, this is the perfect episode for you. But before we dive into the conversation, let's take a quick pick of what you're doing while listening. So go ahead and take a pick of what you're doing while you're listening, whether you're gardening, you're hanging out on the couch, whatever, you're out for your walk, your run. Take a pic, share with your stories, and, ta- and tag BeWellSis underscore podcast on Instagram. Make sure your account isn't set to private so that I can see it and reshare it. Also, if you haven't already, you know the deal. And if you appreciate this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever app you listen on. I'm still trying to get to my first 50 reviews on Spotify and to um, 200 on Apple Podcasts. 
So I'm thanking you in advance. I'm really, really grateful. All right, so let's go ahead and hop on this conversation. Thank you so much for joining. I am so, so glad you're here. Be well, sis. All right. So today I have Lydia Simmons, who is the CEO and founder of Moo, and I'm excited to talk to you. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. I'm I'm good. I was just offline. We were just talking. I was telling you about the woes of being a, an only child who is parenting uh, two. <laughs> And I just don't understand the dynamic, but um, it's okay. I'm pushing through. <laughs> yeah, we, we have that in common. We, yeah. we will grow together. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I am super excited to talk to you because um, you have created a product that is very necessary um, in our community. I feel like we talk a lot about what well, we're starting to talk more about um mental health in the postpartum period, but we don't talk about the physical toll that women, that being postpartum takes on women. So let's just jump into it. So let's talk a little bit about who you are and why you started this. Oh, thank you. My name is Lydia Simmons and I am the founder and COO, CEO. Wow, my my I'm not the COO. I'm taking credit for that. I feel bad for it. The CEO of Moo. Um, it's so funny to me. I don't say that often because a lot of my day-to-day is just about the work and not about the title. So uh, this is practice for me, but um, MOO is an acronym for mom's official objective. And the company is really created and exists because of my negative journey through postpartum. I had a beautiful pregnancy. I had what I thought was a beautiful birth and I hit postpartum and I realized that all the prep work that I had done through pregnancy to get a baby here to this side of the earth Um, didn't prepare me for postpartum. And in my journey, explaining that and seeking guidance on that was really um, a place where there was a lot of void. And so I found myself having to kind of um, navigate my way through it, even um, advice that we would tend to get from some of our elders was outdated, or it really didn't apply, or it didn't make sense. Or, you know, things were being said to me, like, sleep when the baby sleeps, which is just ridiculous you know I mean it's like okay so who's gonna do the dishes you know who's gonna wash the clothes who's gonna cook if I'm sleeping when the baby sleeps and so those things in turn led me to figure some things out for myself and one of those things that I figured out was nutritional sufficiency I figured out that I was malnutrition malnutritioned in my postpartum which was causing me a lot of physical ailments like anemia low breast milk supply, low iodine, hair loss, uh, mental health decline, sleep regressions or non-restorative sleep. And I just didn't know how to navigate those things. There wasn't enough voices. There wasn't enough um, consumer packaged goods. There wasn't enough advisement education uh, that was out there for me. And so Moo exists because I figured it out. And because I am no gatekeeper, I decided to share it with the world, what I figured out, because I knew if I were experiencing it, then other women that were just just like me or coming behind me as new, new moms or new expecting moms would also have some of the same strife and struggle. So thanks for having me. This is Moo, and I am glad to be here. 
Oh, I love it. We have, I have so many questions just off of that blurb there because um, you hit on a lot of things that I felt too. Cause you know, I think the way we prepare ourselves for um, during our pregnancy is for the pregnancy. And then the finish line in quotes is the delivery, but no baby, you just getting started, you know? And then when baby gets here, we are really focused on is baby meeting their milestones? Are they gaining weight? Are they getting enough nutrition, getting enough sleep, all of those things? And we don't think about ourselves, right? Especially a lot of times as first time parents, right? Um, so and you mentioned the um, the low milk supply and I, it just baffles me about how many people are on these like online boards and stuff looking for like quick tips to fix the, the low supply. And it's just like you said, the malnutrition that we're not addressing. So, yeah. so let's talk about what were some other tips, other tips that you got that just was not helpful during the postpartum. So the sleep, when baby sleeps, I feel you, cause I'm like, okay, so now who's going to do baby's laundry and prepare the next yeah. meal for when baby wakes up. <laughs> so I hear you. Yeah. On that. <laughs> so one of the things I think, um, both my husband and I navigated through, and we really dispelled a few of those things were, um, things like, um, your baby is not going to sleep well, you know, just kind of like imparting this idea that the behavior of a child not sleeping well is par for the course. And we could not understand that. I mean, you know, it's almost like a conflicting feeling you get with the knowledge that you hear a baby shouldn't speak. It's almost like a feeling like, wait, okay, wait, that's wrong. But what we noticed early on is we had created a schedule for the baby and the baby slept. So when we said things like the baby got an eight or nine hour stretch, you know, even if we needed to get up and change a diaper, we were changing a diaper on a sleeping baby that wasn't asking for milk that would go back down, you know? And so we had heard these conflicting things and, um, we couldn't figure it out so much so that you start to question if you're doing it right, because you're expecting the baby not to sleep. But what we started figuring out is we were being taught behind um, parents or behind um, theory that had not been practiced or it had been ill practiced. Right. And so we started pushing ideas like that out. And it almost became a game for us. Like, let's see which myth we can bust this week, you know? And so we started doing things that we thought were um, best for us. And I think that's the key. It has to be best for you. It's no right or wrong way. And I think that has to be, that has to be the angle that we really start talking in community um, about these things is, well, what's best for you? When do you work? When do you sleep? When do you eat? You know, how many times do you typically get up to go to the bathroom? If, if you're doing this, then this needs to be the case, right? So that was one of those other things that kind of blew our mind. Now two babies in, we've never had any sleep issues. We've always been very structured on the schedule. And it has, to, to our surprise, been beneficial when it comes to that that sleep pattern that a baby needs. Wow. So even I know for both of mine, I had like, I think a six month around the six month mark, they would have like a little bit of a sleep regression. Did you experience mm -hmm. even that, like that little change? Yep. 
Yeah, that is called the four to six month sleep regression. Mm-hmm. And it's common in babies. You do start to see that what we saw during our four to six month wasn't broken pattern sleep. It was more so um, struggle to get to sleep. You know, you are used to feeding and laying a baby down. Maybe now at the end of feeding, the baby's not sleep. You know, so then you're laying it down and the baby's kind of figuring out, okay, it's okay to go to sleep or there may be broken sleep, but it's not, um, no sleep, you know? Um, so those are things that we figured out, but those are called leaps in the baby's mental development where they are starting to explore different things. You know, that four to six month, what they're starting to realize is that the objects that they see are things, you know, they're starting to figure out that that shape is a thing. I can go and touch it. It's over there. It's this far away. And so what happens is when that baby lays down, just like us adults, they're going through everything that has happened today and their brains are on and they now have to figure out where the boundary is, how to turn the brain off just like us and go to sleep. So it's common. Um, A lot of parents don't know about those leaps, about those regressions. And so they struggle through those, not knowing that, you know, this is something that will pass in a few weeks. And usually by the time you notice it, you're at the end of it. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. So in terms of taking care for yourself, so how did you manage with your first child? Um, to figure out your own routine that not only cared for that was helping the baby, but also helping to pour back into yourself. Yeah, I struggled during my first postpartum because I was hypervigilant. I probably had more postpartum depression than I knew. By the time that I realized that I may have had some of that, I was coming out of it. I was aware. So I was able to do things to navigate it. Or if I had a trigger that would trigger certain things, I was able to get through it. I was pregnant with my second child only five months postpartum with my first child. So talk about irregular hormones there. You know, you're trying to produce milk, but your body also is increasing its estrogen. Well, if you understand the way that hormones are balanced and they move, increased estrogen means low milk supply, right? What you want is low estrogen to get the milk supply. So you're eating for that diet, but now you're pregnant and you're eating for the baby, which is going against the breast milk supply. So I struggled with this balancing of what nutrition was going to be best. Um, Eventually during that first pregnancy, I succumbed to it. And I actually started to formula feed because that was, that was best for my baby fed was best. Right. Um, You know, there, there is a a community and and maybe even a campaign, we would call it, that is all about breast being best. And look, I've been on both sides of that table. And what I can tell you is you have to feed your baby. Period. And if you are unable to produce breast milk and in the event of you trying to navigate that, looking for interventions to correct that the baby still needs to be fed. So me personally, and us as a company, we promote fed being best because I have an almost four-year-old baby that was formula fed and she is just fine. She's just fine. Hey sis, it's the summer and that means more cookouts, date nights, girls trips, and overall enjoyment. 
What that does not mean is that we should slack on our nutritional needs, gut health, and supporting our immune systems. That's why we need to keep our physical wellness as much a priority as our social wellness by taking one scoop of Athletic Greens every day. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diets, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. Listen, I used to take a handful of supplements and I am no longer about that life because who has the time? And it's lifestyle friendly. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it just fits. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting our immune system during these times. And they're offering a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you simply visit www.athleticgreens.com slash So basically, you'll never have to buy vitamin D again. I don't care how much sun you get, you always have to supplement your vitamin D. So to redeem your offer, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash bwellsis. Again, to get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs, visit athleticgreens.com slash bwellsis. Yep. Yep. Um, I have a similar kind of experience. I didn't have um, my babies um, close, but my first son he just um, first had like a, a tongue tie and just the latching was really difficult and painful for me. So I tried it for three months. I was like, I can't from like, I would get to the point where when it was time for him to feed, I could feel myself tense up. I'm like, this is yeah. not good. Like I can't yeah. be holding this baby, like tensed up. Like I'm sure he could feel the vibe. Right. So like, you know what, we're just going to go to formula feeding and he is completely fine. And to your point, absolutely fed is best. Um, I understand the origins of, you know, going back to breast and breast being best, but it's not necessarily sustainable for everyone. It's not suitable for everyone. Some people have past traumas. Some people physically can't be there. Think about in America, you only have six weeks, right? Um, Guaranteed. You might have to go right back to work and it's so hard pumping and, um, you know, and working. I've done that and that was a lot. So yeah, I I agree with you. That is best. Let's talk about what are some changes that happen um, to the woman's body postpartum that she needs to make sure that her, I guess, what are something that we should look out for? What is normal and what are things that are abnormal, but we've accepted as normal in terms of our bodies? Great question. Well, you have to be very careful to explore what was normal prior to being pregnant and prior to being postpartum, because my normal may not be your normal. You know, if you struggled with weight or weight loss prior to being pregnant, then breastfeeding during postpartum is not going to um, exacerbate weight loss, you know? And so there's some things out there that are kind of irregularly taught to us and things that we go into postpartum expecting. So expect for your normal to be your, um, foundation, you know, your normal prior to pregnancy, your normal prior to postpartum, that's your starting mark. 
Now, if you want to improve on that, then so be it, right? So some of the things that I would tell you physically that you should expect is when you return home from um, having your baby, whether you delivered by C-section or you delivered uh, vaginally, you're going to have a couple of things physically happening to you. And they all have to do with the uterus. One of those things is you're going to be experiencing some discharge. And that discharge is going to change colors over the course of time. Now, a lot of times this was even told to me. So I'm going to share this because I think that, you know, this is a safe space to talk. Um, I was told that if you had a C-section, you wouldn't bleed after you have a baby, right? So no kidding you. I was surprised after my first C-section that I was having to, you know, take care of a bleeding body. Yeah. I didn't get it right. So I went to exploring what was happening with me because I really was taught that bleeding would be minimal, if any at all. But the truth of there and the physical, the physicality is when the placenta detaches, when you deliver the placenta, you are leaving a huge sore. Let's call it that. The mm-hmm. placenta is attached to your uterine wall. When it comes off, it's now a sore there. It's a raw spot. That raw spot is going to bleed. After the bleeding happens, there's another layer of discharge. After the discharge happens, there's another layer layer that all comes out of the vagina. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest things that we don't talk about in postpartum. That's going to happen day one, and you should expect it. Um, There are some ways uh, um, to, to take care of yourself during that time, including staying dry, keeping a very clean um, environment changing, whether you're wearing a chuck, whether you're wearing, um, uh, what do they call incontinence panties, whether you're wearing a pad, (laughs) any any of those things, that's right. Any of those things you want to stay as dry as you can. And when your bleeding reduces, then you can switch over to a panty liner that you can manage a little better with a normal panty on. Okay. That's something that is not ever talked about. You don't know about it until you're in it. And it's almost, it's, it's, um, what is the word there? There is an experience during this time where you don't understand because it's Mm -hmm. not a menstrual cycle. It doesn't smell or look like a menstrual cycle, but the volume too is wild. Yeah. That's right. You have to still treat it like it's your menstrual cycle. So that should be discussed. Um, You may also experience retention of fluid. I mean, swollen legs and feet for days after you have a baby. A lot of moms forget a lot of this, you know, because it's such a daunting time. You're tired, but you may leave the hospital with feet so swollen. You can't fit them into shoes. Like you're literally leaving with those little um, fall proof slippers on when you leave the hospital sometimes. Sometimes that is because of the fluid that you carried in your body to host the baby. And other times it's an increase of fluid because you've been on an IV for hours during your delivery at the hospital. That fluid has to go somewhere. Okay. So over the course of a week or two, you'll start to see that fluid reduce. It's nothing of concern, but it could happen to you. And you should also be prepared for that. Physically, I have a um, colleague who experienced so much weight gain in her foot that she now has stretch marks on her feet, oh, wow. which I never heard of. Right. But I also experienced the foot swelling and the fluid retention, but no stretch marks. So know about that. Um, let's talk about the uterus. Okay. 
This is an issue that we study because we treat humans with uteruses through um, our education and we try most mostly to help build and encourage the postpartum through our products, um, whereas the uterus is concerned. The uterus is going to be responsible for 99% of the issues that you see in postpartum, if you see any, God willing, you see none, okay? But they all emit from the uterus because the uterus is now in a state where it's almost in crises. It's not at homeostasis. So now the uterus is telling the breast what to do. The uterus is telling the mind what to do. The uterus is telling the joints and the muscles what to do, okay? These things are all important. So as you start to experience things like mental health decline or low milk supply, your first gumption is going to be probably to ask why or to find out why. The doctor that should be supporting you through this is your OBGYN. Why? Because the issue starts in the uterus. These things are secondary to issues in the uterus, okay? You probably don't know that, and you probably won't be told that. But if you're having postpartum depression, then this is an issue of the uterus, okay? Not seasonal depression, not, you know, um, psychosomatic symptoms, these are issues of the uterus. And so you need to go to the doctor who practices the support of the uterus. Go to your OBGYN, that's where the support should be. Lactation, this is a uterine issue. Your uterus is emitting hormones or confusing hormones that is either reducing your breast milk supply or now you have an abundance of breast milk supply. Depending on which side of the table you're on, both can be problematic for you, right? But this is an issue of the uterus. Go to the doctor who practices the support of the uterus. Your OBGYN should be able to help you. A lactation consultant should be able to help you. What you want to practice is fighting back against the referral out of that office. Okay? I was just going to say that. That's what I've seen, you know, they'll yes. either refer you to a psychiatrist or to your therapist no. or to lactation consultants or right, right. Yep. Lactation is okay if there is an issue of milk supply. There is some study there, right? But every single physician that's under the, the helm or the umbrella of OB and GYN, gynecological services, all have lactation backgrounds. You may not know that because they may not want to actually delve into that. Your doctor may not want to hang around your room to talk about breast milk supply, but it is their responsibility you need to know that going in and you make them responsible. You hold them accountable for that. There may be a lactation team on staff, but any questions you have about lactation, you force, <laughs> if need be, your doctor to sit there and talk to you about that, okay? So there's gonna be a lot of advocacy for you during right. that time on those issues. Now there's another issue, which you and I were talking about earlier, but it's the issue of the gut. And that is nutrition. And this is where you're also going to see some ebbs and flows if you are not on a balanced diet. And if you don't have supportive um, tools that are filling nutritional voids in your diet, um, the gut is really important, you know, more than a probiotic or a prebiotic can really gauge is a whole food meal. 
okay? There's a lot of things out there, including things that we have in our store, but your first go-to is a sustainable diet. Not dieting, not taking food away from the body, but diet, putting things into the body that you need. You need, you know, if you're vegan, then you need to figure out a, a heavier dose of protein. You need a lot of protein for the body to heal after having a baby. You need balanced carbs. You are not ready as right out of postpartum to go on keto or to go on um, intermittent fasting. You have to wait. You have to wait in order to get your body up to a level where it can sustain those types of lifestyle. Coming out of uh, childbirth, nutritional sufficiency is number one on your list because when you don't have it, guess what you will have? Increased mental health decline, low breast milk supply, anemia. Um, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So these are two areas where you should really be focused um, out of the gate during your postpartum. I could go on and on about this, but I want to give you some of the, the bigger issues that are going to create secondary issues for you if not managed well. Yeah. In a very crowded beauty market, Black women continue to struggle to find products and resources that fit their unique skincare needs. Black skin is different. Our melanocytes, which are melanin-producing cells, are larger and easier to trigger. That means as black women, we are only one pimple away from hyperpigmentation. Bolden simplifies the beauty experience by making products that work well on black skin. They'll help you establish and turn your beauty routine into a habit. The result is beautiful skin that seems effortless. Shop Bolden on their website at boldenusa.com, Amazon, or Walmart. And, and, you know, I'm so happy that you mentioned earlier that after um, delivering a child, whether it's vaginal or if it's a C-section, the placenta has to detach and you have to remember that you are, your body is now healing a wound. And if we think about it that way, I think we'll be more gentle with ourselves. I think this culture is so obsessed with bouncing back and everything that we're like, okay, baby's out. It's time for me to, you know, like you said, get on that keto or intermittent fasting or whatever it is, not realizing that we need to help ourselves heal. Um, so I'm so glad that you mentioned that just eat those whole foods to, to mm -hmm. help your body nourish itself back into its, you know, pre um, baby form in terms of the right. wound aspect. So, so true. Um, okay. So talk to me about how do we best prepare for pregnancy? Um, pregnancy, and not pregnancy, but I guess the, the fourth trimester. So postpartum, how do we best prepare for that? Well, I would ask you a question in reverse. How do you prepare for childbirth? Huh? A birth plan, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we are taught to do. We're taught to kind of write it out. We're taught to study as much as we can. We want to go in the delivery room kind of um, with a high level understanding of what's going to come. Well, you approach postpartum the exact same way. Every visit that you go through during your prenatal um, term in gestation rather you are asking your doctor all kinds of questions and you need to treat postpartum the same way. So your prenatal visits are being treated as a prep for the childbirth, but they also have to be treated for a prep for the postpartum. Yeah. Now, yeah. these aren't conversations that you nor me, you nor I have probably um, had 
volunteered to us. I can't recall a single appointment now after two kids where the doctor says, all right, let's talk about postpartum. Right. It just doesn't happen, but they're well equipped and they know exactly what you're going to experience through postpartum. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So you're going to have to lean on a lot of the educational pieces that are out there to give you a baseline of information so that you can form some general questions for your doctor, things that you don't understand, drill down on them. So my suggestion would be you need to develop a postpartum plan. And in that postpartum plan, you need to include the people who are going to be a part of your community, your tribe, you know, your village, because at this point, it's not so much as the village um, being utilized to raise the child, but the village is also there for you as well. You have postpartum doulas that are out there for the emotional support of the mother. If you can afford that, or if your insurance provides a way to, um, actually acquire a doula during that time, then do that. Um, if you are on baby two or three and you don't need much for that baby, then instead of asking for new clothes, ask for donations towards your doula because it's a really good support. It really would be a great baby shower gift for all of your guests to give you X amount of dollars towards you having a doula for X amount of time. And you can figure that out and meet with a doula and figure out who you would like to be on your support team. But the postpartum plan is so important. It should not only include the doula, but it, it should include your rescue plan. Because let's face it, there could possibly be a time where your mental health declines so severely that you are not in a position to figure things out on your own. And so your family, your village, your community, your tribe, they need to be able to go to that postpartum plan and see the doctor that you have highlighted as wanting to see in the event that you need intervention. They need to see that, hey, if I start doing this, this is what this means. And you will need to talk with them about that along the time of your pregnancy to prepare them for it. You should also identify people that you want to be around you during postpartum. So let's say you're home with the hubby and you're having a hard time. And the hubby, is, he can't catch a break. And, you know, everything that he's doing is wrong because really what's happening is you have postpartum anxiety. So he can't win, but he can go to the plan and see that you have these four people that you really love being around and they make you happy when you're around them. He can call one of them and say, get here right now because I need you and she needs you. That's what your postpartum plan is for. That's what it should look like, you know, and that's just that that's general. You know, you can get in the weeds on this and really make it a very um, extensive document so that you have a full resource there to guide you through some of those hard days and nights that are most likely to come if you are um, suffering with sleep regressions with a baby or even you um, are not able to obtain restorative sleep at night. You know, that really takes a toll when all things check off, check out, and you've gone down the list and you're doing everything, but you're still not sleeping, you still right. can experience some of these very things that I'm talking about. 
So get you a postpartum plan, please. I urge you get a postpartum plan, make it as extensive as you possibly can. This is going to be your postpartum Bible and everyone who needs to reference what to do in case of should be able to go to that document and see what they need to do for you, including in there your favorite restaurants, you know, restaurants that you know the whole family will eat. So if somebody is going to barbecue spot over here, this is good. Everybody in the house loves this place. They can eat here. So that if somebody wants to do something good for you, they have something that they can abide by to help you during this time. It's so necessary. And I have to be honest, I did not have this. But if, if should ever we have a baby three, we will have this because we really struggled during this time. And so I'm speaking to you from a place of not only what I would have like to know to have, but what I absolutely should have been told that I needed. Right. So, right. so I'm telling you, you need this. You need this. If it never gets used, you still need it. So yep. spend some time on it. Spend some time yeah. there. I think this is such beautiful and critical advice. Um, like you, I didn't have this advice either because again, I was thinking like the finish line is having the baby, not realizing that's when life really starts, right? <laughs> not life, but the experience really starts. Um, so such good advice. And especially the doula, I have a, like my, one of my passions is that I believe that all of us deserve a doula. It, I had, didn't have one for baby number one, have one for baby number two. And my experiences were night and day just because of the presence of a doula. Um, mm -hmm. So I love the idea of if you can't afford it, if people that are around you, that love you, that want to give you something, that they all can chip in to give you that um, doula for the labor. And then afterwards is just such a good idea. Such a good idea. Um, yeah. Uh, I love that. And I have, I'm happy that you mentioned that too. And you said that you didn't have this and, but something that you, you know, wish you did. Cause I was going to ask you what's something that you wish you knew um, that you know now. And I guess that this would be it. Yeah. That was top of the list, top yeah. of the list, because, you know, I think a lot of the things that we experience in postpartum are issues of the heart and the mind first, you know, you know, issues of the heart is I wish this person could be helping me. I, it would be great if my grandmother were still alive. She'd be right here. You know, those are some of my words, Yeah. you know, and I know that a lot of people have that in common, you know, uh, or you, or, Hey, I wish that, um, my mom wanted to help me more through this or whatever your issue, whatever your thing is, you know? So you have that matter of the heart first, that then becomes a matter of the head because you may be lamenting on this would be so different if dot, 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 right? The presence of the doula for my family would have been amazing because it, were, it was literally just my husband and I. I can remember being in labor with my second child, but I had a one-year-old at home. So my husband was running back and forth from the hospital to the house. We did have someone helping us with the baby, but my husband was concerned, you know, yeah. like, you know, the baby had always been with us and she was still considerably young. So there were so many times that I was at the hospital just by myself, yeah. selflessly as well, because I understood the mission that my husband was on just going to see about the other baby that I also was concerned about. Wouldn't it have been amazing just to have a doula there? So if the husband has to run off, it's okay because yeah. you have support there. Yeah. I feel 
I feel like at some point I was being treated, you know, um, poorly because I was just looked at as being someone destitute and there by myself. And so, you know, I didn't have a, a spokesperson or someone advocating on my behalf or just the presence of someone. Right. So I think that it's Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real thing. It really happens to us, especially as black women. Let's be mm-hmm. real here, mm-hmm. especially as black women. You know, there are some markers that I think the professionals um, either uh, consciously see or, or unconsciously see that start to affect the way they treat us. Yep. You know, yep. so I would absolutely advise that if you don't have someone that can be around 24 seven in that delivery room with you. Um, definitely look into a doula and absolutely look into a postpartum doula, someone who's coming by the house, who can help with this, who can pick up that, who can, you know, throw these things in a basket, who can sweep the kids off for a second so that you can take an hour nap. You need that. Yeah. You deserve it. Yes. Um, A lot of like indigenous cultures during the postpartum period, like people like the aunties, the, the mom and like the village women, the village the women in the village come around to support mom. Um, so that way she can support baby. And I think that is the piece that we miss here. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the mom and hopefully the partner taking care of baby. And that's just about it. So yeah, mom gets lost in all of it. And yeah, it yeah. needs to be nurtured. It's the psychology. It is. It's a psychology that doesn't just plague the black family, but plagues a lot of families because of the way that our parents struggled with us. Mm. And because of the struggle, some of the parents internalize it as I did it. I didn't have anyone. You'll be fine. And other parents are looking at it more of I did it. It was really hard for me and I don't want to relive it. So if you call me You know, I can possibly see if I can come by, but then it comes with all the restrictions, you know, like uh, I can, I can watch the kids, but you know, I can only watch them for this long on this day, you know, and then we're put in the balance of that as the new parent, as still the child, you know, of the village, Mm -hmm. we're put in a situation where we have to juggle asking and getting a little bit or not asking at all. And a lot of us, you and I have the only child syndrome, (laughs) but a lot of us only children and then people of our generation, we would rather go without than to feel as though we got lended something that's going to be brought back up in two weeks. You know, like, remember when I did this for you? You know, we don't want anything hanging over our head. Mm -hmm. We're just different. We're a different breed of of people. Our generation is. And so that then communicates into that childbirth experience where you're like, look, if I've got to pay a debt to you for the rest of my life for helping me during this very vulnerable time, we'll figure it out on our own. Yeah, it's a psychology. and, And it's one that we have to break with our children so that we don't hand down that to our kids. Yeah. And I never considered the second part that you said about some, like our parents may have experienced some struggle with us around that time and they don't want to relive it because um, that's real. I just never thought about that because I keep seeing online like people in our generation being like, you know, they don't make grandparents the way they used to make them. Like, you know, these grandparents are different. Like they don't want to help out, yada, 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 where we spent a lot of time with our grandparents, right? But it makes sense. Now I'm seeing that connection 
Um, yeah. I'm seeing it. Wow. You just, yeah. a light bulb just went off there. Wow. Yeah. It's a psychology. It's a traumatic psychology that even we fight through, but we have forms like this to talk about them on, right? This is therapeutic. Yeah. Right. It's right. therapeutic for us talking about it. It'll be therapeutic for the listeners, right? Yeah. But our parents didn't have that. And so we are, we are a different breed because of technology. We're mm-hmm. a different breed because of the way we're able to communicate things. We're also a different breed because a lot of us were raised under the generation of parents that talking about things showed a weakness. And so they imploded on a lot of topics, right? And so that harmed us in a way that forced us to be the talker, to be the communicator. And so you'll notice that people in our generation, we don't mind talking about things, even things that are a little etchy and iffy, because we understand the therapy of that, where we have parents that wouldn't go to therapy if you gave it to them for free. <laughs> you yep. know, yep. it is the difference of the generation and the things that were provided for us coming up and coming through that were not provided for them. I absolutely believe my mom had postpartum depression I, at 100%. But what was postpartum depression in 1983? Right. It right. was unheard of. Right. <laughs> you know? Or if it was heard of, it was like for um, rich white women. That's that's absolutely. Like, absolutely. Yep. It wasn't for my mom. Right. It wasn't. So, yes, when you talk about traumas, absolutely. Absolutely. That is so real. Um, my um, my parents broke up right before I was born and I was born in October in New Jersey. So it was kind of cold at that time. So my mom was saying how. They had cut the lights off because she couldn't afford it, but she did not tell anybody. One of her, um, one of her friends, who I called my aunt, like stopped by, and it was early evening, but the the sun had set, and it was like, "Let me see the baby." And she was like, "Hold up, why is it candlelit around here?" She's like, "Well, they cut off the electricity." She's like, "Girl, you didn't call me," and it goes back to just you know not wanting to ask and not wanting to be vulnerable and not talking about real things that are happening. So I can't imagine um, just having a baby. My hormones are already like, you know, sharply declining or just changing. Right. As well as dealing with all the financial stuff by myself without talking to people. So I know my mother was going through it too, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It gives you a softer place for the grandparents that we don't have. Right. It gives you a softer understanding and it almost gives um, a level of forgiveness yes that we need for them you know it helps you to understand why they may be absent where has our community gone well our community has been widely affected by the mental health decline that we now are actively pursuing a a way out of you know they didn't have that right so now we talk about putting them back in a cycle that they work so hard to be out of without any support, the support yep. that we have, they didn't have it. So it helps even us in this area to give a lot of um, grace, a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It, yeah. gives, it helps give grace. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, I, just as I get older, I'm seeing my mother as a, a human because 
I, I didn't for so long. That was mom. She's not a human. She's mom. No, 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 no. She is a whole person with feelings and experiences and all those good things. But um, this was a really good conversation. But before we wrap up, I have to ask you two questions that I ask everybody. The first question is, if there was a book about anything at all, fiction, nonfiction, um, that you recommend to the audience, what would it be? A book, let's see. I would probably say um, something on financial literacy. I think that we are a generation of filling but we're not always a generation of financial wealth and knowledge of that wealth, how to acquire, how to acquire it, how to retain it. Um, and I would say second to that is the five love languages. I think that we need to understand how to best love the people around us and um, move out of the selfish desire to give them what we have, um, rather giving them what they need. And uh, so I would say those two. Oh, good, good. Um, and then my last question is because, you know, life is complicated and, you know, things can be hard, especially with the news cycles and all the stuff that's happening in the world. What's something that has brought you some joy in the last 24 to 48 hours? Ooh, this is a, this is a good question because I practice gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so I find goodness even in bad things. So I don't know if I can answer that specifically, but I can tell you about my practice. I, I um, hear it. Yes. I, I practice gratitude and it is just a state of being where even when things are not going your way, you pull the good from it so that you are not clouding your mind with negativity. Right. We don't have a lot of room for a lot of things these days. We have a lot of things. We're juggling a lot of things. The last thing you want to do is to give a space in your head to something negative. So rather doing that, it doesn't matter what's happened. You know, you could have um, taken two hours to get to the grocery store because you got detoured, right? But what is there to be grateful for? Well, be grateful that the detour kept you out of harm's way, you know? Took you longer to get there, but you made it. You right. actually made it and you got to return home. So finding something in everything to be grateful for will keep you in a place where you're giving to your life instead of taking away from it. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> so good. That was such a good reminder. Cause um, I find myself just allowing like the, the setbacks to set me back mentally. So I appreciate that reminder. Yes, yeah, it happens. And it's human. It's human. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lydia. I will put everything on how to, um, to learn more about um, MOO, which is an acronym for Mom's Official Objective down in the show notes. So click, um, purchase, all of those good things, and, and just learn more about um, how to pour back into yourself as a mother. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.